Today, I sat down with one of the co-founders of Greenhouse, Sam Haddad. Sam is the CEO. And in this episode, we really talk about their strategy, the brands they're going after and what they uniquely are looking to grow in the space. We talk a bit about growth, but it is really interesting to peer in the mind of one of the aggregators, one of the many aggregators in the space, but how they formulate their own unique identity and strategy. And for me, I think it's really smart. I loved hearing what Sam had to share and I'm sure you'll find it interesting too. Jump on, listen through, enjoy. Welcome to Successful Scales, the show where I talk to world-class professionals on what it takes to scale successful businesses. I dive deep asking questions to people who are running unicorn businesses, to raising funds, to buying businesses, mergers and acquisitions, IP and patent law, what is to manage performance management. I mean, the list goes on. The idea really is how do I create knowledge and learning for you guys listening in? And of course, myself getting the floor with people who I, in many cases, would never dream to share a room with. Before we jump into the episode, I've got to give a special thank you to our sponsors. Firstly, over at Global Wide Advisors, a leading digital consumer products investment bank focused on optimizing the sales process. An incredible team, always happy to pick up the phone and educate you or anyone about the sales process and what you should really consider and can obviously help take you to market or even acquire businesses. I ring them for just about everything these days. Us over at Multiply Me, we are the end-to-end executive search and HR function into the Philippines, helping find better talent and onboarding them effectively. And last but not least, Escala, our management consultancy focused on process improvement, where we help build better systems for your business. That's all the ads you're going to get from me, ladies and gentlemen. The rest is all about learning. I hope you really enjoy and get as much out of these sessions as I do sitting face-to-face with some of the world-renowned leaders in their respective fields, asking them the tough questions that they're not often asked. Sam, mate, welcome to an episode of Successful Scales, my friend. Yoni, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. And I really look forward to our conversation. Well, mate, uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to this. I know we tried to schedule it in um, and, and here we are. And like so many others, got caught up chatting about everything in between, about the future <laughs> and the direction, probably should have hit record, you know, five, 10 minutes ago, but we're here now. So um, obviously I'm all too familiar with you and your brother and Greenhouse and what you guys are up to. But before we jump into, you know, the many questions that I already have, uh, and, you know, the, the very intelligent insights you're already sharing. Um, love you to just give those listening uh, a little bit of background about you. Sure. It would be my pleasure. Um, so I'm a product guy. I come from the product world. And I spent the past eight years working for a family company that manufactured soft goods and hard goods. So a very long list of categories, but namely men's, ladies and kids, sportswear, activewear, underwear, loungewear, socks, uh, accessories, luggage, backpacks, and pool floats, a nice amount of products. Um, Learned a lot about what goes into the different products and different categories. Um, And really during that time was involved in every single aspect of the business. So whether it was uh, operations, uh, production, sourcing, supply chain, sales, design, uh, product development, brand creation. I mean, I really learned what it takes to create products, just creating them, 
what it takes to launch them and what it takes to make them successful. And I think all three different aspects are, are different in, 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 in each way um, and are challenging in each way. Um, and there's something to learn from each step of the process. Uh, so I had two primary roles at the company. I personally ran the un underwear and loungewear divisions uh, at the company. Um, so I sold millions of units just because underwear is a volume-based business, selling millions of units of product via multiple channels. So the first one being uh, distributing to brick and mortar retailers around the U.S. So whether it was the, all the way from the top to the bottom, Walmart, Target, uh, Costco, Sam's Club, um, TJ Maxx, Marshalls, Burlington stores, Ross stores, um, having a very defined presence in brick and mortar. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming whoever's listening to the podcast, if you walked into a TJ Maxx or if you walked into a Walmart and you looked at the underwear shelf and the loungewear shelf, you're probably wearing some of the product that uh, I was involved in creating and, uh, and bringing to market. So in addition to that, uh, distributing product direct to consumer via branded websites, and probably most importantly for this conversation, um, selling via online marketplaces such as Amazon and Walmart.com. In addition to that, I basically managed the Amazon business for the entire company, uh, taking products amongst all the different divisions and then selling that product to Amazon as a 1P vendor, um, which defined and proved to be very challenging. Um, and then eventually transitioning that business to a third-party FBA model where you know, just having more control um, being able to do, being able to have more tools, um, really the business started to really skyrocket from there. Um, you know, fast forward to 2020, everybody knows what happened with COVID and it's no secret that shopping habits accelerated by 10 years. Um, and I knew that it was my time to take on the next challenge in my life. So 12 months ago, I decided to uh, move on from where I was and decided to focus on building a portfolio of Amazon FBA businesses for the following reasons. Number one, just using all the knowledge that, that I gained from the previous eight years um, and having that product vision, that product expertise obviously goes a long way. The second one being the operational excellence that, I, that I've come to understand and knowing how important it is uh, to successfully scale a business. And then third and probably most importantly is the Amazon experience, right? We all know that Amazon is extremely volatile, right? It could, it, as an Amazon seller, it could slap you side to side and turn you upside down overnight. And if there's no experience there, it can prove to be very difficult. And I think what, you know, what I've been able to accomplish uh, over the past eight years in terms of knowing Amazon inside and out, traveling to Seattle as a, as a 1P vendor, speaking to DMMs and GMMs and people and high, you know, the higher ups at Amazon, knowing how their algorithm works, which obviously changes day by day, um, month by month, year by year. It always helps to have that knowledge. Uh, and so Greenhouse was born. <laughs> love it, mate. I love, uh, I love the detail and the thoroughness. And I've got to say, um, you know, for me, I'm licking my lips here because most people that I'm sitting and I'm speaking to, they're very heavy on the M&A side. They're very heavy on sort of the acquisition pipeline. And for me, um, I'm a creative, but I'm also, you know, in the ops game. You know, what we do is we help build operations. So to sort of sit here listening back to sort of the, the gamut of your skill sets and sort of where you're at, 
I think we can have a very different conversation today about, you know, some of the challenges when we talk about building businesses, particularly in this space and, you know, some of the opportunities that exist, you know, you're going to have a very different perspective. So, mate, firstly, thanks for, thanks for giving me the full rundown here. Um, my hands sore from all the notes that I've been taking, but, um, mate, let me start off, um, by, by really digging into, you know, eight years across virtually everything that is operational in the business. And, you know, you said, um, you know, if it was TJ Maxx or Sam's Club or Walmart or wherever you probably bought, uh, you know, something that you've had a hand in to some right. very degree. I mean, the relationships that you build when it comes to wholesale and brick and mortar. I mean, in my mind, and I haven't done a whole lot of this stuff. Um, I've sold into, I did a deal with um, Hobby Lobby once upon a time. Um, <laughs> but but um, when I was an Amazon seller, but I imagine that, I mean, that's got to be a competitive advantage in and of itself. I mean, you've built those relationships, right? Does that become sort of a very uh, obvious channel for you guys to, to help scale? It's a great question. And I definitely think looking at where the Amazon FBA space was a year ago, where it is today, where I think it's going to be in three to five years, no doubt. No doubt, and having that experience is going to be crucial. What I do think about that industry is that it's it's very relationship based, right? No secret. It's all about knowing the buyers, knowing the people at the company, having that in to basically number one, get your product through the door, and then hoping it sells, and then growing it from there. Um, you know, with greenhouse, and I'm I think I'm jumping into into the criteria, but you brought it up. Whenever we look for a business to acquire, or whenever we're presented with a business to acquire, we're always looking at the short-term and the long-term vision, right? So the short-term vision is how do we grow uh, the existing Amazon business using the existing foundation um, and the infrastructure that it has, whether it be through title, bullet points, little galleries, A-plus content, no secret, every aggregator is doing that, right? But then this is where we get creative, right? With the What's the long-term vision? How can we take the business from a $2 million, $2 million business to a 20 or $100 million business? And I happen to think that with that long-term vision, let's just say in years two, three, four, five, that does include maybe direct to consumer, maybe that does include brick and mortar distribution. So I, I definitely think it's in the cards. I think it's going to be more important as Amazon becomes more competitive. Um, and the good thing is, is that we do have the operational history and experience in addition to those relationships that we've built over the past eight years. Yeah. And that, and that to me feels like a, a very obvious path to growth. Like, you know, let's talk about the acquisition of a straight Amazon business, but you know, it's sure. no, it's no, uh, it'll come as no surprise to anyone listening in that if you don't, you either have to maintain and grow it incrementally or really the, the goal is to absolutely accelerate growth. And so having, a strategic relationship, being able to go to brick and mortar or having, you know, ways in which to build the D2C as, as long as you can also leveraging, um, you know, outside of um, selling to brick and mortar and going into to wholesale, you know, you can always leverage the FBA model. It's not entirely exclusive right. to um, just products that are sold on Amazon. So yeah, feels like a very, uh, very handy thing to have up your sleeve when, you know, that's really, that's, that's the game that you're in. It's how do we take this and 
turn it into five and 10 and 20 X. That's how, that's how you win. Cause the acquisition cost, you know, is more than what you would pay for it if you were to grow it organically. But the reality is as in at that time and they're putting the hard work, but you can, you can have access to that acceleration. So yeah, no, I'm just, uh, I'm just processing, you know, again, the fact that the fact that you're very much the product guy and have had that sort of thing, that sort of experience to me, you know, it's a lot of interesting things. Like for example, you, you know, uh, and I'm sure we'll jump into your criteria. I mean, we were talking before a little bit about the the direction and the future and the vision around greenhouse. And I personally love it and think it's extremely smart. Thank so I'm you. excited for you to, to sort of share with people a little bit about that. But um, surely another opportunity for you guys is that you look at the products, you already have the relationships with the manufacturers, you understand what can and can't be done. So another very clear uh, easy way to accelerate is to, you know, additional SKUs, product variations. Like these are the things that you'd probably eat up, right? Correct. Correct. And, you know, it, it, Amazon FBA is an amazing platform, right? The, the, it's a global marketplace. Um, there's so much, so much opportunity. It is definitely growing by the year. Um, but at the same time, and we're going to focus on that for the most part, right? At the same time, we do look for that mass growth. And if that's an opportunity, if there's an opportunity there, then we're going to go after it. And that, and, and that makes sense, mate. I, I want, I, I would, I mean, I'm excited to know that this will be one of the first places that you actually communicate a little bit about the refined and sort of future direction of, of Greenhouse. But mate, I would love you to, to walk me through how it came to be, what that looks sure. like. And then we can dig into a little bit about it because, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I only just found out before we hit record, but, but I was waiting for someone to have a position like that, to be totally honest. And uh, yeah, mate, I think it's great, but take it away. All right, perfect. So yeah, I'll jump right into it. It may be a little long, but I, I think uh, for whoever's listening, they're going to find it very interesting. So, um, you know, the, the aggregator space has grown significantly over the past year. Let's just say a year ago, there were five to seven aggregators. I would say today there's over 60. And I knew that when we started Greenhouse, there needed to be a point of differentiation. So the, the, what, I'm, what I'm about to say and the lane that we've chosen is based off of living proof, right? It's, it's off of experience from the past eight years knowing what works, knowing what doesn't from a product perspective, from a, a company strategy perspective, everything is based off of uh, successes and failures. And so it's not like we just picked it out of a hat. So we basically like to, like to describe Greenhouse as a boutique house of Amazon FBA brands, specifically focused on acquiring businesses that manufacture their product in the, U, in the, in the USA. Um, now, again, going back to what I said, it's all based on experience and knowing what works and what doesn't specifically with Amazon. Um, you know, we've decided to focus on businesses that manufacture their products in, in the USA for a variety of reasons. And I would say the number one aspect is just creating a fast and frictionless supply chain. You could talk about what's going on in the world right now with increasing freight prices and probably freight prices that nobody has ever seen before. 
So whether it's $20,000 for a container to the West Coast or even $25,000 for a container to the East Coast, we effectively cut those issues out, right? Completely gone. In terms of the lot, uh, delays with the uh, supply chain um, and getting containers to, to the port, um, we effectively cut that those issues out. Um, it definitely helps where, you know, if, if products are manufactured in the USA, that we can have additional inventory, you know, ranging on the manufacturer anywhere from two weeks to let's just say 12 weeks, right? And I think having that range enables us to maintain in stock rates, making sure that we're always serving the customer with the inventory that's needed. Um, and to us, we've learned what going out of stock can do. So for example, going back to my previous eight years, being in the underwear world where we manufactured majority of the, of the, of the product in India, you know, lead times were anywhere between three months and six months. And whenever they tell you three months, it's not three months, right? We know that it just creeps up and up and up four months, five months, six months. And so nothing happened. Nothing happens quickly in India. Exactly. Right. And so it basically became impossible to forecast the amount of inventory that we needed, which would lead, would lead to stockouts probably on a weekly basis. And let me explain to you about the apparel world, right? So let's just say we had five or six successful styles that each had eight different colorways, that each had sizes. Each child variation is basically its own business now. Because when you go out and when you manufacture underwear, you and let's just say you're out of small, size small in style A with color B, you can't just order that one size that you're out. You have to do a complete size run. So again, it, it was basically trying to manage each child variation was its own business. Um, with a lead time of three to six months, it became impossible. All the dollars that we, we were putting into marketing and PPC were basically wiped out, thrown away, and it just didn't make sense. It was an unprofitable business. Um, hence, you know, coming up with the with the concept of only manufacturing or only acquiring uh, businesses that manufacture their product in the USA. Um, in addition to that, what we're really trying to do is create synergy between products, between manufacturers, and create a network within the USA of tried and true manufacturers, right? So for example, we're going out, we're, tr we're trying to acquire a business. We know instantaneously if we can bring down the cost of goods because we have this built network of manufacturers that know that they can rely on us, that they can trust us and we can trust them. I think it, go, it goes hand in hand, you know, working with manufacturers for such a long time, specifically overseas, is that they dictate your business. If they're not gonna manufacture, manufacture your product on time, and they're not going to deliver, um, your business basically goes into the dumps, right? And so I think, you know, having that word of synergy is extremely important to us. Yeah. I mean, firstly, like I said to you a couple of times before now, I, I love the, I love the focus and I think focus for anyone is good, but especially when you look at obviously the challenges that exist from freight and supply chain and logistics and issues with the ports and you know all the shit that uh has really happened over the course of the last 
year and a half, two years since the pandemic struck. Um, focusing also like the brand messaging too. I don't think there's ever been a more uh, timely uh, period or, you know, a point in time where like nationalism and like being proud to be American or straight, like, I mean, you know, take it from me, someone who is originally from Australia, I cannot fly back to Australia right now. I cannot get into the country. If I fly there, I am stuck. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, animosity toward the Australian government and how that's hand- how they've handled the whole COVID situation. But I think, you know, it's almost like everyone's scared to travel. Everyone's scared of what's going on around the world. And so to double down and to create jobs effectively when you're talking about a time of a pandemic and i don't understand how there hasn't been a recession u.s government just keeps printing money and every government around the world like inflation's up you know tenfold but and the and the, and the stock market is through the roof it just nothing makes sense to me anymore <laughs> i really i just I, I don't get it um but yeah you, you hit the nail on the head uh we obviously embody the american dream the american spirit it's what we're about we, the founders are American. I mean, it, it all comes together, no doubt about it. Um, and, and it's really important to us. I, I also will say that looking at businesses that manufacture their product in the USA, it kind of lends itself to certain categories. So whether it's beauty and personal care, whether it's health, health and household, whether it's pet supplies. I mentioned the word before that's trust. These products need trust from a consumer perspective, right? A consumer that's putting something in their body that they're ingesting, that they're giving to their pet, they need to know that it's quality product, right? And so not only are we making the business more efficient, right? And effective, but in addition to that, I think customers will know that they can trust our products because we're gonna create this network of manufacturers that we know we know have have a track record again um love it and think that there is a whole lot to be said especially as well and i think about the demographic and you know like yeah i don't know how many people live in flyover states that are listening to uh to this podcast but you know when you think about those states in the south um you know the notion of american owned american made i mean you're american manufactured i feel like it really plays into that national pride and so you know uh, not to not you guys are the ones coming up with the ideas here but you know even <laughs> even drilling down deeper into that focus it's like how do i acquire brands that also are products that appeal to the buyers who live and breathe and would die for the american flag you know you could even you can even spin that concept further so that it's, you know, from the inception point of, I know this speaks to my buying audience. I'm going to go after products that make, make sense too. Correct. And I think at the end of the day, we want all Amazon FBA sellers to know that if they're manufacturing their product in the USA, they should come to us because we succeed in taking those companies from A to B to eventually Z and really growing them from the, from not from the ground up, because I, I think sellers don't get enough credit for all the work that they do. Um, it is not easy running an Amazon business. And so many, so many people think that Amazon sellers uh, work five to 10 hours a week and that's it. And it's sit back, relax and enjoy the show. I think it's so much more than that. And I just don't think they're given enough credit. 
So not that we're taking it from or we're growing it from the ground up, but as I said before, using the existing infrastructure to really grow the business in the way that it should be. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I, I, I'll agree with you. I think that, yeah, Amazon sellers probably don't get enough credit um, to a point. Um, I don't think anyone's sitting back and, you know, doing absolutely nothing with their time. But um, when they come to an aggregator, when they come to a greenhouse, you know, in it comes the economies of scale. In it comes the ability to actually structure it in a way where, like you said, you have a network of manufacturers, you know, all of a sudden one of the manufacturers can't produce a specific component. You can leverage the network to fill in the gaps and all of a sudden you don't have to have these mass delays and production run failures and things that would otherwise crop up when you are limited to the one relationship that you have and you know who knows like you know like you said before especially when we're talking about overseas you know you're totally beholden uh to working with people that you know you can't jump on a plane or pick up a phone and speak to them at any time or uh even in their own language right you're exactly right and i've had the horror stories i know i know what can happen it is not fun um you know, there's always ups and downs in the process. And if you, if you don't come from the product world, it, it's hard to understand, right? With any product, there's a life cycle. And it's important to understand it. It's also important to understand that products change over time and that prices change over time, right? So you can have, you can, you can look at a, an Amazon FBA business and look at the cost of goods and say, wow, that margin is really great. But guess what? In a year from now, what's it going to look like? We all know that prices for raw materials are increasing day by day. Um, and so it's impossible to, to predict exactly what's going to happen. But I do think that it needs to be taken into, into consideration, uh, to understand what the return is going to be over a certain amount of time. Absolutely. You know, while you were sort of breaking that down for me, then I was thinking about a video I watched actually yesterday. Um, Adam Runquist, um, I think he's like, he goes by Adam Heist on his YouTube channel. I don't know. Do you right. see his 20 minute long? Uh, you see that? I'm seeing it. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, so, so I watched it yesterday and it's the first time that I've heard someone um, firstly break down the well, it's not really the unit economics, but effectively the economics of an aggregator. I was actually talking to Global Wide Advisors who sponsor our show here. Um, and I was saying like, that would be a fucking interesting piece of content to actually look at how does it break down? Like, how do you, as an aggregator, like what's the long-term play and how does that that make sense? So honestly, that's not my jam. As in like, I'm not a, number, <laughs> I'm not a numbers guy. I'm, I'm not gonna, get, that's not the things that, that um you know, they get me super excited. Um, I like the more of the creative thing, like I was saying before, but I'll tell you that a lot of the points that he had about five or six points um, about what he, uh, you know, imagined or believed to be true in the space and what would happen over the course of the next sort of two or three years. And I think that, um, A, I agreed with all of his points. Um, so super excited to eventually have him on as well too. Um, I've been chatting with him and I want to get him on uh, for a session, but the point that really struck me and the one that to me feels like you guys are really in the hot seat to, to make this all actually uh, possible is it's the operators who are going to win. 
Uh, it's the people who focus on building out their operational infrastructure and can actually manage a business at scale. It's one thing, you know, like I said, I speak to a lot of M&A guys and, you know, I think we're going to see over the course of the next year, it's probably going to happen over the next year, not even two now, that um, all these, you know, heavy acquisition focused aggregators who, you know, throw the kitchen sink at everyone that's M&A and how do we build these funnels and acquire, 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 they're going to probably, uh, if they don't get it on top of it, they're going to be pretty uh, shocked at what it is to run a business at that magnitude and that scale. So yeah, I have two points. The first one is, you know, I, I look at deals all day long, right? So let's just say I, I review a hundred in a month. I would say we throw out 99 of them. Why? Because 99% of the uh, of, of the deals just don't make sense. Whether it's an enterprise value purchase price, um, whether it's just the, the unit of economics or the full package, it doesn't make sense. There's a lot of crazy money that has been infused into this space. And in my opinion, deals are being done just to satisfy investors. That to me raises a red flag. It's cautionary. And so in addition to being USA focused, what we've what we've implemented into Greenhouse is a quality over quantity mentality, right? So we're not looking to do two to three deals per week. We're looking to do two to three deals per year. And I think having both of those uh, aspects will allow us to give our 100% focus and attention to any, any, any company that we do acquire, right? Nothing gets thrown to the back, um, it's, you know, going back to what you said, how do you, how do you grow the economies of scale? Um, and really back to what, what Adam was talking about. It's, an, it's, it's a question that's going to be answered over, over the next two to three years. And I do think having a plan in place will undoubtedly help us in, in, in being successful and, uh, and taking the business to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you fail to plan, you plan to fail. The uh, age-old <laughs> saying, but it's you know, it's it's absolutely true. Um, and I say this with a business focused on process improvement, and that's all that that's all we do is we plan and we iterate and we improve everything that's going on internally and for the clients that we work with. That's like that's the name of the game. How do you actually build? How do you build something that nothing's future-proof? But how do you build something that? you know, the standard deviation of change is going to be very much marginal as opposed to a full organizational restructure or poor planning on capacity and output, uh, whether it's from a production standpoint or whether it's from an output design, you know, how can I keep up with, you know, the tens of thousands of SKUs that I have and making sure that every single listing is optimized, the EBC is there, like, have I built all that and planned for what, you know, that acquisition pipeline looks like. So I got, I, I got a, I have a question for you on the back of sure. uh, that comment. And I like the fact, sure. again, I'm someone who also would say is, is pretty calculated and, you know, a quality over quantity and, you know, making sure that you get it as right as possible. I mean, I think like every founder, um, well, at least for myself, I'm always embarrassed at whatever the first iteration looked like. And then, you know, obviously naturally it evolves and then you're, you know, you build something that you're truly proud of and it actually meets the sort of the expectation. But I don't know what your relationship is like with, 
you know, how the money comes in, but do you feel like I've actually haven't never really broached this topic before, but you kind of brought it up. And then, um, from my perspective, you know, I always toy with that. Like we had a business the other day, you know, consider to acquire us and uh, effectively do a share swap and they're going to IPO and go through this whole process. And it didn't really make sense to me. Um, I didn't believe in the vision around, you know, a conglomerate of service-based businesses and they're effectively creating the aggregator model, but for services. Um, right. And, you know, which I think is smart, but as someone who has, you know, 130, 140 plus people on payroll, you know, I'm not trying to add another 5,000 people into the mix and see what that looks like. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's a headache. So anyway, um, that comes back to the point of like, investment right like that's always been the concern too is that we probably wouldn't be in this position where we are today where we have escala as well as a second business that came on the back of the first one because we've had that freedom we're we're bootstrapped self-funded what what sort of pressures if any do you feel from how you know investment flows in from you like are you getting any pressures like you need to be doing more deals or it has to be at a certain size like how how much you know how i guess it probably depends as well from investor or what that looks like it, it it depends it depends on the investor it depends on uh i guess who the investor is um and a lot of times it's more than one investor so it could be whoever's in the board so on and so forth um you know i i, I think i've heard stories where you know let's just say the criteria is a 3x or a three and a half x but the deal is coming out at a 5x and permission needs to be granted. I mean, I, I don't want to get too technical and too into the details. Sure. But in terms of what's going on right now, um, you, you just scratch your head sometimes, right? Not only by what the purchase price is or what the, uh, the multiple is, but Let's talk about, let's go back to what I began talking about, right? From a product perspective, like what is this product really? Where is it going to be in two years, right? Not even from a financial perspective, but from a customer demand perspective. Um, Where is it going to be in five years? Does the brand mean anything, right? Because is it a a product-based business or is it a a brand-based business? Because if it's a product-based business, we're not interested, right? There's no growth there. Um, All these things add up and to satisfy investor needs by just going out and throwing money at a, at a deal. Um, it, it just doesn't make sense to us. There needs to be a value. And if there's no value, it's just, it, it, it makes it very hard to put our time to it. Like for example, you know, we're product visionaries, right? So over the past eight years, I've developed a, a knowledge and an, and an understanding to walk into a store and to, and to see the white space on the shelf, right? No matter what the category is, there's certain things that I look for. No different with Amazon. You give me a search term, I look at the top eight listings. We could basically see the white space uh, or the untapped potential. And you, know, you, you need to be able to say, all right, here's the plan. As I said before, short-term, long-term vision. Um, you know, there, there's, there's certain things to look for. And if it's not there, it, it, it's, it could be uh, detrimental. It really can. 
Yeah, no, that that makes sense. And I would say as well, um, you know, being such a crowded space, and I think that the hype as well around it and the need to potentially appease investors and everything, you know, it almost becomes sometimes how it feels in Amazon, a race to the bottom when it comes to pricing or a race to the top in who can pay the most money and, you know, sort of um, caution is thrown to the wind and you're just sort of figuring out like, okay, got to, you know, too many too many potential cooks as well when you look at, uh, you know, what's happening in this space as well. So, yeah, really, really interesting point. Well, mate, I know know that we're getting to the top of the hour here and I do want to give you an opportunity to obviously share with anyone who's listening, you know, how they can get in touch if they have, you know, officially uh, a US-based business that they're looking to sell, you know, what's the best way to to hunt you down and, you know, and and get on your calendar? Sure. Well, um, you can always email me. My email is is sam at greenhouse.io. Greenhouse is spelled G-R-E-E-N-H-A-U-S dot I-O. Um, I, I am very responsive to emails. I tend to respond within, you know, two hours. Um, and I'm, I, I really, I, I pride the company on giving responses back to potential sellers very quickly, Right not in terms of here's the deal that we're going to give you, but if it's a yay or nay, right? As I said, we're product people. We can look at a listing and know within an hour if this is something we're going to focus on. Um, that comes with experience. That comes with having, having a very tailored criteria. That comes with just knowing what we want and knowing what works and knowing what doesn't. Uh, I may sound repetitive at this point, but again, to us, that that really is the most important thing. So Sam at greenhouse.io, uh, looking forward to, you know, having conversations with sellers out there uh, about how the business can grow, about how we can take, you know, the company from A to Z and really um, invest the time and create an emotional connection with the brands that these sellers have created. Love it. And I'd say... Never apologize for ever sounding repetitive. What I was told <laughs> from a from a brand positioning perspective is like, you know, we're sat through this podcast right now. We've had a conversation for 40 minutes or whatever. And so, you know, hopefully someone's gotten all the way up to the end of it, but maybe they haven't. And you become effectively the sum of all the little components and pieces that people are putting together. You've done our podcast here, 20 minutes there, video snippet here. And so you got to you got to tell that story as many times as humanly possible and to whoever is listening and will hear and is relevant because the more you can sort of get that story outward and the more areas that you can sort of uh, attack the more likely you are to have the impact and the success so yeah i i, I tend to like sometimes Agreed. feel like i'm repetitive but i was like almost cautioned saying that's what needs to happen so my didn't sound what, repetitive to what? me <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. One thing I did fail to mention is that Greenhouse is undergoing a rebrand. So in about a month or a month and a half from the date of this recording, um, there will be a completely new look for Greenhouse, basically encompassing what we've spoke about to- spoken about today. Um, and it'll look much better than what we have now. <laughs> well, uh I'll release it at that time. So guys, you know Perfect. that we recorded this a while ago, but uh, it'll come out when the new branding and everything's looking slick and mate can talk. I might have some uh, resources for you that might be able to help with uh, that stuff if you don't have them locked away. But mate, uh, thank you so much for jumping on and thank you and, and sharing for the first time 
a little bit about the direction. I love it. And I'm excited to see just how far you guys take it. Yoni, thank you so much for having me. Um, I would love to come back on the podcast in a bit, maybe a year, year or two to give you an update on where we stand, what we've accomplished, you know, what we think is going to be the future of this Amazon FBA space. Um, it's always a pleasure coming on. And I will say just us creating a relationship dating back to, I believe it was December of 2020. Um, I'm very grateful that, uh, that we were able to connect then. Likewise. And we actually met on uh, clubhouse funnily enough while that was, a uh, that was right, still, a, right. still a thing. But, uh, <laughs> God, God rest its soul. No, I think it's still going. I, I just don't jump on it. But, um, mate, I'd be happy to lock you in two years from now, a year from now. We could do it on reoccurring because get I get it on that, the calendar. Let's get on the calendar because I think it's going to be really exciting and interesting to look back because of how fast the space looks. But you know what? We can save our love story and, and talk <laughs> talk after this. Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, again, thanks so much for coming on, mate. Thank you. 